This is a dream I had last night, and I'm calling it the House of Prayer Dream. I was preaching in a large venue. It was gateway somehow, but also not. During the preaching, I was going on and on, feeling the spirit and preaching through a wireless handheld microphone. At one point during the message, I stopped because of a sound drop, a technical difficulty. Did the battery die? Did something malfunction on the mic? I don't know, but I had to switch mics. I stopped preaching and took a minute to get a new mic and continued as before, but now it looked like 80% of the people had simply left, as though they'd been enduring and finally had their opportunity to escape. I felt a flash of discouragement coupled with a strong sense of, no, the Lord is on this, so press on. So I began to preach even more feverishly. I remember yelling over and over and over, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. It seemed like as I released that truth from my deepest being, it was reaching people's deep. People suddenly, without any altar call, came forward and began to seek the Lord with earnest prayers and ardent spirits. The room, which had felt so empty only moments before, suddenly felt much more full. The front of the room was flooded with people seeking God. I said something like, now I'm just going to pray. And I prayed into the mic only briefly, but quickly I ended up on the ground, expressing deep inner ache and yearning, that yearning that always burns deep within like a smoldering, undying bundle of embers. As I lay there, asking the Lord to do things I've been asking Him to do for so many years, for two decades now, how do I describe that prayer to you? It's an accumulation of grief and anticipation and hope and longing. It seemed like I'd been depositing requests in heaven like investments, and they've been accruing interest the whole time, but now they've grown large under the weight of glory mingled with pain. The requests seem to hold a combination of positive and negative electrical poles. The beauty of the Lord on the positive and the groan of creation for that glory on the negative. They're irresistibly drawn together. The glory of the Lord and the yearning of creation for that glory. Irresistibly drawn together. And there I was on the little stage laid out groaning along with my little plot of creation for God's glory to find expression. Mike Bickle would say that what came upon me in the dream was a spirit of travail. But perhaps the spirit of travail is less about something coming upon us and more about God unlocking a door within us, allowing that place in our heart to find expression. There was no more talking into the mic after that. I was in the place of travail on the stage floor. Beside me, I heard a stocky, butch, short-haired female pastor with a sweet, conscientious concern for people and how they were doing. She was being counseled by a more seasoned, kind, and very calm older pastor. The younger pastor was confessing that she's been afraid of the wild and unpredictable activities of the Spirit that may occur if she were to absolutely surrender her will to God's. What would happen to the church if she really allowed him full leadership? She was troubled, but she was also sure this was God. So there she was, desiring the older pastor's encouragement in giving herself fully over to God. I awoke 
wondering what the various elements of the dream mean. But I also awoke, still praying and contending, my house shall be a house of prayer. My prayers in the dream were real prayers, as surely as Joseph had real communication from the angel Gabriel in his dreams. Though I don't remember all the particulars of the message I was preaching in the dream, I have a a sense of knowing that it was about abiding and a lifestyle of ceaseless, unbroken communion with God. I also sense that the message, my house will be a house of prayer, holds a double meaning, both a personal and a corporate one. On the personal, it's each saint's body as a perpetual house of prayer, and on the corporate, the gathered church is to be a house of prayer. The dream may have come as an expression of, or God's answer to, a problem that my heart has been trying to resolve, namely, the tension that I sense between what American church seems to be about and what the kingdom seems to be about. The Western church model seems to me to be built on activity, clarity, direction, values, programs, personnel, alignment, vision, and management. Though not technically incorrect, these are simply not the essence of the kingdom. And perhaps I'm just not personally called to any of that. And when I try, when I try to develop those things in myself, or even to read about them, my spirit vomits them out. All I want is simply to offer the sacraments of the Lord so that hearts are strengthened by grace to know and walk with God in the mystery of the gospel. Everything else is not only secondary, it feels superfluous, even idolatrous. When others try to saddle Gateway or me with an American sort of Tower of Babel ministry model, which says, we succeed visibly, therefore we know we are. What happens in my spirit is my shepherd's intuition goes crazy, saying, not on my watch you don't. It's classic Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we humans build a huge tower so that we can feel that we matter and so that we can know who we are, namely that we have proof right here in this tower we built. And that will help us live down and escape that inner feeling of not belonging, that inner feeling of chaos and abyss. But in Genesis 12, God calls Abram to give up all the trappings from which we humans derive connection, tribe, place, security, identity, and instead find his union, find his identity in the invisible God of the impossible promise. God says, I am your shield, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your very great reward. Sometimes I wonder if we evangelical Americans have replaced the gospel, spirituality, and the sacraments with belonging to a highly active local corporation whose stated beliefs and visible actions in the world are the basis of our sense of self. And sometimes it seems as though we choose a church like we choose a sports team, so that we can vicariously draw identity from being a part of that nation. But that isn't the organic life of the indwelling Christ. It's built by human hands, a a Babel tower. 
Makes sense then how we church shop and hop and swap. How can we not since our actual goal is to find a church full of winners so that we can feel like a winner instead of finding Christ in the sacraments along with gathered saints who also need Christ. When we seek from church what can only be had in Christ, it is churchianity, and God save us. A church will draw hungry souls if its core group will simply go after God and only God with sincerity. Hungry people are drawn to such environments. It seems to me that too often we pursue relationship with God as one of the things that we do as people. Surely the entire Bible reveals a God who loves to respond to people who yearn for him above all else. His primary interest is not our activity, our clarity, our direction, our values, our programs, our personnel, our alignment, or our management. None of that moves him or excites him. He, not we, is the one who builds the church by causing people to grow in their relationship to the Godhead. If his presence and his pleasure are our ultimate priority, we can trust him to build his church. And since Jesus is the head and we are his body, then how else would we live out that reality than to let the Lord Jesus lead each of us directly by the indwelling Holy Spirit? The point, then, of our gatherings is to administer the sacraments in order to strengthen that reality of the indwelling Christ and abiding in him and being led by him by grace. That's the point of gathering. Isaiah 66 has captured my heart for years now, the whole chapter, but especially verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says that, well, actually God says, my dwelling is heaven, even though the endless galaxies can't contain or fully express him, though he built them with his own hands, his own capable hands. And then we presume to build him a structure in which to dwell? Really? Verse 2 essentially says that. Really? You think that's what I want? A temple built by human hands? I'll tell you exactly what I'm after. I esteem the humble, contrite heart that trembles at my word. But without that yielded heart, without a heart that's given over to obey, without that willing heart, even your offerings and prayers feel pagan and offensive to me. Don't just sing to me, listen to podcasts, give me offerings, and pray to me. Walk with me. Obey me. Do what my indwelling spirit tells you to do. And do it all the way from a heart of love. Love me. Isaiah's collected writings are bookended which is to say chapter 1 and chapter 66, the first and the last chapters. His writings are bookended with this same message from God, which is the same message that the prophet Samuel championed in the day when Saul was king and messing up. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And God is saying, take away the noise of these songs. I can't stand it. If we live in obedience to his voice, he's going to love our singing, even if we're a little out of tune. But if we willfully do our will all week long and then on Sunday think that our excellent harmonies and skilled drumming and perfect timing and beautiful songs are then somehow acceptable just because we mean them, well, it might impress people. We might even 
be impressed ourselves with our worship, but God smells nothing but the worst car full of farts ever rising up to heaven. But anyway, back to the dream. As I awoke from this dream, I was wondering about this prophetic word that I received a few years ago that said, you are a mystic, a writer, and a builder. And so as I was getting out of bed, I said, Lord, if I'm a builder, what am I building, Lord? And instantly he responded with, a house of prayer. May you give even more light, God, in the coming days. And may I and many others become houses of prayer where you abide, both now and for eternity.